Today on Physically Spiritual, I have the joy of talking to Debbie Cowden about motherhood, family spirituality, and surviving as a tired parent. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I'm captivated by discovering the truth about my body and how it reveals God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. Like I said, today I'm really excited to share with you an old friend, Debbie Cowden. She's a wife and mother of three, a senior digital media specialist and host of the Catholic Sphere on EWTN. She writes on the Catholic Link in Church Pop, and her and her husband, Dave, wrote a beautiful book called The Prayer Book for Tired Parents. Their mission is to help other Catholic parents reorient their lives toward God, joyfully raise their children in faith, and experience God's peace in their homes. Welcome to the show, Debbie. Thank you, Andrew. It's a blessing and a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, so this is uh, a lot of provenance in my life has, I think, come into this episode. Um, so, Debbie, you and I knew each other years ago. When I left the seminary, I discerned out of the seminary and worked for two years at a university parish called St. Thomas More in Bowling Green. And I just remember you were, you were the, you were the girl in college who, you I think you were like a liturgy coordinator at the church, and you did a few other things. And we would have meetings like, you know, who could take on this next you know, leadership position. And, and your name always came up, but soon after your name came up, what came up was she's really busy. She was really busy. <laughs> yeah. So, so you, I think you were, you were going to school full time. You were working at a local TV station. You were volunteering at the church and with other ministries. Um, but I would just love to hear like what, what you're doing now with your wife, David is really amazing with your ministry to parents and for family spirituality and the book you've written. Um, like what in your story, like brought you to Christ to a, a dynamic faith as a young person, and then, you know, to this ministry that you're about now with your husband, David. Yeah. Well, you know, 10 years ago when I was, I had just graduated actually 10 years ago from Bowling Green State University and, uh, throughout college, I always just thought that I was a good Catholic. Mm. Um, I had never really fallen away from my faith in terms of, always going to Sunday mass and being the liturgy coordinator and, and the sacristan at mass, uh, even though I wasn't so closely involved with the St. Thomas More community because I was busy getting a degree in television production. I was working on campus and off campus, um, trying to build up the the Debbie empire, if you will, um, trying to like build my whole life for myself. And I was doing really, really well with that. You know, um, by the time I had graduated college, I was the executive producer of a program on a local TV station, president of a student media organization. I had created my own um, political reporting show on the local, like the, the school's news station. Yeah. Um, you know, I had internships in New York City. And, um, and another internship at a huge TV network and another big radio network. Like I was doing great. I was doing everything for myself and I was doing really well with that. Um, in the spring of 2013, gosh, that sounds like it was so long ago, but also not very long ago at all. I had just met Dave and just, just started dating Dave. And then all of a sudden, as I'm starting to look for jobs in television, um, somebody had suggested to me that I look for a job in Catholic media, because that seems like it would be a good use of my skills. And I remember laughing at this person saying there are no jobs in Catholic media. Um, but providentially there were, and there was a job for EWTN in Washington, DC. And so I figured I would just, I would just apply and see what happened. And I ended up getting the call for an interview while I was at St. Tom's with Dave. And so I took that as the first sign that maybe this is where God wanted me to go. And everything just fell into place with getting the job, moving to D.C. and starting to date Dave long distance while he was still in school. And, um, you know, it's funny how God works, because while I, while I thought that it was all about me, I realized pretty quickly through my work at EWTN and learning more about its foundress, Mother Angelica, that it's not about me at all. And that when I try to make it about myself, I'm going to fail miserably. But when I make it about God and I make it about using my talents to serve God, then he can work in miraculous ways like he did with Mother Angelica, who was a cloistered nun who had no TV experience and only $200 in her convent garage. And she somehow built and ran what now is the world's largest religious media network. So if you, if you think in the context of who you are as a person and how God can use you, 
if you just step back and you say, God, you know what you're doing, use me for your will, well, then he can work in miraculous ways. So I've been working at EWTN for the past 10 years. This is the very abbreviated version of the story. And um, and doing really well with, with hosting and with my work in EWTN social media. I was a TV producer. And to make a really long story short, somehow God put it on my heart and on Dave's heart to write a book. Hmm. And I remember saying to Dave, I don't know what I would write a book about because I don't really have the chops to write about anything except being a tired parent. And then it almost immediately came to us, the prayer book for tired parents. Mm. So my prayer at that point became, Jesus, if you want this book to happen, then you're going to have to blow open all the doors and make it happen because I am a mom of three. I work full time. I am homeschooling and I do not have time to write a book. And Dave does not have time to write a book. And providentially, he blew open all the doors. And through the process of writing the prayer book for tired parents, it really challenged us to practice what we preach mm -hmm. in terms of living our faith. Um, and this is all coming after the pandemic. Uh, but then also realizing that, that even though we didn't want this, we didn't ever want to write a book. We didn't ever, Dave especially, didn't ever really want to be in front of people on TV. But this is how God is planning on using us. And so the prayer book for tired parents is a fruit of helpless prayer to God. Like, God, you've got to be the one paving the way on this. But then also really challenging us to live out the concepts in the book, which are all centered around these foundational things that we can do as Catholic parents to not just be holy for the sake of being holy, but to love God more and to live out that call as Christians in the context of family life and not despite being a parent, but through being a parent. Yeah. That's the really short version, Andrew. No, that's great. That's great. Yeah. My wife and I have been reading the book and we love it. Um, you know, we've been living the faith for a while, but you know, there was a lot of good stuff in there, like the basics, but then there's also a lot of new stuff in there too, even for us. So it's, it's a great book in that, you know, it's, it's, it could be a starting place for someone who's kind of learning about Catholic prayer and traditions, but it could also be for someone who's been practicing their faith for decades and they could learn something new from it. So it really does have a good, both kind of shallow entry point, but also then a depth at the same time. Um, and the one thing that struck me in the book was you almost talked about like a call within a call. You know, like you and Dave were, were kind of like, you felt like you were good Catholics and you were, were trying to live it, but you kind of realized that you were, were not, um, it's like, what was that experience like of realizing that like your, your vision of yourself as Catholics wasn't really matching up with reality? Yeah. Well, you know, I hate talking about the pandemic, but it actually was due in part to the pandemic because um, in March of 2020, we had our three-year-old and we also had a one-year-old mm. and we were getting really good at making it through mass. So usually we could get about 50 minutes in before our one-year-old started to get a little bit antsy or we could make it through most of the mass, just getting there, being quiet. And that was good for us being faithful about getting to mass every Sunday. But at that point in our lives, it really had become about going through the motions and we didn't realize the extent of that until parishes had shut down and we were no longer allowed to go to mass and we had to start doing the mass at home thing. But then when the churches opened up again and we were able to come back to mass, we realized that our kids had not had gotten used to not being at mass and not being there to go through the motions as well. Yeah. And so there came a point where Dave and I were like, what are we going to do? Because we can't even sit through mass anymore. And he had made the suggestion, like, do we just need to go separately? Mm. And that idea broke my heart because I realized that there was something really wrong. But Dave in his brilliance and in his wisdom said, why don't we start taking them to daily mass? And I remember getting mad at him for a second and saying, are you crazy? We can barely make it through Sunday mass. And you want us to do that even more? You want us to go to daily mass too? But he was onto something because I realized in that moment that the problem was not the idea of getting the kids ready, getting them in the car and getting to mass. The problem was that I was making a lot of excuses for why we couldn't do these things when the Eucharist is supposed to be the source and summit of our faith. 
the the Eucharist is really Jesus and we get to receive him into our bodies. And if I really believe that, why am I not doing everything I can to get myself and my family there? Hmm. So we started going to daily mass and when we had started, we were trying to go to daily mass five or six times just based on Dave's work schedule. And I remember thinking also from the beginning, man, this is taking up a lot of our time. Like this is really eating up our entire evening and the kids are falling asleep. Like we're, this is messing up our whole routine. And I was like, how dare I say that? Like the, the Eucharist, my Lord and savior is taking up too much of my time. <laughs> so we realized that we were making a lot of excuses that were based on a lack of love. And that the problem was not the children. The problem is not the mass schedule. The problem is that I didn't love God enough. Hmm. And so it's really been on our hearts through everything that we've been doing with the book and in our own lives to change the way that we're doing things so that we can try to love God more. And I like to say that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Uh, and so our prayer has been, Jesus, help me love you more. Help me love you more. And it's a prayer that our now six-year-old prays as well. Jesus, help me love you more. Yeah. I love that approach. I, we, we, our oldest is now two. He's turning two next month and we're due with our second, our, our daughter at the end of August. And like, I'm hearing your story in this, like so much of surviving with kids is habit, you know, like, like our son Solanus can sit through mass because, well, he just has always gone to mass his whole life, you know, and he's gone to daily mass. He's gone to weekend masses and and so he just kind of knows what it is. But the idea of him not going to mass for six months, then all of a sudden taking him back, you know, like six months for him is a quarter of his life. It's an eternity. Uh, yeah. You know, so for him, like mass would just be something completely new at that point. So as I'm kind of trying to put myself in your shoes and a million other parents' shoes at that same point in time, like it really is kind of a terrifying prospect to think of going back to church after them being out of the habit, but your solution, the problem isn't too much mass. The problem is we need some more mass. We absolutely need more mass <laughs> and for the, for the practical reasons, but also the spiritual reasons. Mm. So practically what we realized is that when we were taking our kids to daily mass, they were learning the routine. They mm. were learning that when it's time to get dressed and ready to go, we have our mass clothes and we put them on and we mm. get in the car and Daily mass is so wonderful because there aren't as many people. There are fewer distractions. It's usually shorter. Yep. They can see what's going on instead of staring at the back of people's, you know, their backsides. <laughs> and so it gives them a chance to see what's going on. And then there's a lot more leeway as parents to be able to whisper in their ears and say like, okay, this is the most important part of mass. This mm -hmm. is when Jesus comes to us in the Eucharist and, and we can pray little um, spiritual communion prayers like Jesus come into my heart. Jesus, I love you at the elevation. We can teach our children to say, Jesus, have mercy. Jesus, I believe we can teach our kids how to pray during mass without worrying about what everybody else is thinking around us. And so that's just been what we do now. Hmm. And Dave, even though he works in healthcare has been able to change his schedule around so that he can be home more to get the kids to daily mass. And I'd be happy to talk to you at some point about how fathers can be, uh, can take a greater role in being the spiritual heads of the household. Um, but first I just want to, I just want to mention what you said about surviving hmm. as parents. Why are we just content with surviving? Yeah. Is it there something that we can do as parents to do better for ourselves, if not for any other reason than our own sanity, but also for the sake of our kids and that our kids deserve to see us doing better than just surviving because of them. And that's been another good fruit of the prayer book for tired parents is that we don't want parents to feel like they're floundering all the time and that, you know, it's hard enough to just get food on the table and get the kids off wherever they need to go and run them around all their different activities and us to work our full-time jobs. And then at the end of the day, just be completely exhausted mm. and frustrated and just worn out and not being able to be there for each other. It's enough that all that is happening. But then on top of that too, we're expected to do all of it. We're expected to pray the rosary together and to make it to daily mass and have some sort of concrete prayer life. How are we able to do that? And why are we not doing something that's going to fix the problem? Hmm. And so with the prayer book for tired parents and with some things that we've been doing in our own lives to address our physical needs, hmm. we've realized that God has given us the intellect and the will to participate in our lives. And we don't have to be floundering and helpless and uh, without skill. 
that he gives us these gifts so that we can say, okay, if we want to make it to daily mass, here's how we're going to schedule out our day. And, you know, in this, in the same way, it's like, I know that my kids are going to be hungry throughout the day. I know that we're going to be having three meals so we can do meal planning and we can plan ahead so that our children are not hangry and so that we're not all melting down. Same thing goes for, you know, for our spiritual lives and for how we take care of our bodies. We can make a plan and we don't have to be surviving or floundering. It's crazy. It's crazy that we have accepted it for so long. But Dave and I are at the point where we're, we're changing the way that we're doing things. We're making a plan and we're working together. And we've seen the fruits, not just in our spiritual lives and in our physical health, but also in our mental health and how we're managing our mind too. I could go on and on. Yeah, no, I love that approach. It reminds me of, I think it, I don't know who, who, I don't know what saying actually first said this. Teresa of Avila comes to mind, you know, but she was saying like, you know, basically pray every day for an hour, except for when you're busy, then do it for two hours. You know, and it reminds me of that approach. It's like, we get this idea that, well, we're really busy. So if we trim back our prayer time, then we'll have more time for all this stuff and we'll feel better. But it's, it, it's, it's the logic of faith is sometimes the opposite of what seems obvious, right? It's that actually more prayer will then provide us with the grace and the disposition to the graces that God's offering us so that we can do everything better. That we not, we're not just surviving. And, and that was like my experience. That was a lot of what came before this podcast because I had, you know, I was up to almost 400 pounds at one point and I wasn't sleeping. I was stressed out. I quit smoking at the time. Like I, like my life was a mess in a lot of ways. And I literally didn't continue my education because I could never, I never wanted to write again. Like I, I didn't want to go do a dissertation. So I, I had stopped. I don't want to do a dissertation either. Yeah. I don't blame you. <laughs> um, but then as I got healthier, like as I lost the weight, started dealing with the stress, um, I just had this new energy and I started writing <laughs> And, and I'm like, what am I doing here? But I was filled with so much passion about what I was discovering. I couldn't help but express it. And a lot of the stuff was theoretical. And and Nick, know, like finding out about it, invited me to do the podcast. And that's kind of how it started was I was sharing the content that I had been been writing about. And and so in many ways, the show is is kind of that same phenomenon in my life, that as I got healthier, didn't do less, actually did more, but the right things, the healthier things, the things that brought me closer to the Lord, like the Lord multiplied my time and my energy and my focus, um, you know, so that I could, you know, work the full-time job, have a wife and kids, and then do stuff like this on the side. Um, so I'm curious, like, what were the things for you and Dave to really start to like take care of yourselves in a different way, to have that additional energy to, um, yeah. So at the end of the day, you weren't just exhausted and needed to pass out on the couch. Yeah. Well, you know, when the, when the pandemic broke out, we had just found out that we were pregnant with baby number three mm. and we were in the middle of a, a full home renovation. Dave was working, uh, he was working 10 hour shifts in healthcare. And um, while we're trying to do this whole home renovation on our 90 year old, beautiful Dutch colonial home, uh, there came a point where we had ripped all the siding off of our house and and we were sitting at the kitchen table and I distinctly remember him having like the the next level down from like a mental breakdown. He was just saying, I don't know how I'm going to have the time to paint the house this summer. And he was distraught about it because it's like, I'm pregnant. I'm not going to be able to do much. And the next week he got furloughed from his healthcare job. Mm because of the pandemic. So suddenly he had all of this time. And what was beautiful about that time that he was home, in addition to the fact that praise God, we got unemployment and we were okay. Uh, but he got to spend so much more time with the kids and that we were no longer having the issue that we had before where he would be gone off to work before the kids even woke up. And then by the time he was coming home from work, the kids were either already in bed or melting down getting ready for bed. And I was completely frazzled. Mm. So that was the first thing that we realized that the pandemic was a gift because it gave us a gift of time with Dave. Mm. But then secondly, after this major catastrophic event had happened in our family life, which is another story for another day, um, Dave and I both had, again, these breakdowns where we were like, we can't do this. Yeah. And he ended up stepping down from his full-time job in healthcare 
to be PRN or resource staff. So he's basically working in freelance healthcare, but that also gave us the gift of time and made us realize also that, you know, if we could work smarter and not harder, then, you know, he could work half the hours and still make the same amount of income for Mm. our family, which was huge. But then also with that gift of time and Dave being home, he also realized how much I was taking on as a mom, a full-time work from home mom, which had started long before the pandemic. I've been a work from home mom for almost seven years now. He realized that there was no possible way as a mother or as a single person that I could do everything, working full-time, educating the children, cooking, cleaning, folding all the laundry, and then still being a happy chipper person when my spouse came home from work. So the other huge part in our transformation, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically was Dave being home and being present. Mm. And so this is a a essential pillar of our family life is the fact that not only are we uh, valuing and prioritizing the time that we're spending together at home, but that we're working together in our responsibilities. So Dave, does most of the cooking. When he's home, he does the dishes. He changes the diapers. He pushes the laundry through. Um, There was somebody that I was talking to who was like, I'm I'm telling them these things to have a conversation about like balancing motherhood and fatherhood. Mm -hmm. And he's like, so what do you do? (laughs) Because it seems like Dave does everything. Dave does a lot that, that makes it so that I can serve my family as a mother as well. And that's really a a challenge that we have for couples is, you know, women as mothers, you don't have to do it all. You should not be trying to do it all. And you need to reject what you hear from society and from social media telling you that you have to do it all. Because if you have that attitude or that mentality, it's destructive. It will wreck you and it will probably wreck your marriage and will harm your children too. If you have this, this feeling that you need to do everything in order to be a good mom, your value as a woman and as a mother can't be taken away. Hmm. It really can't. It's also a call to action for husbands to be there to support your wives, not just, you know, helping her with, you know, taking out the trash or walking the dog or putting the kids to bed, but really serving her by helping out with these, not even just helping out with these responsibilities, but sharing in them. Yeah. Because it's your home too. And because if you can take that load off of your wife, you will change her as a woman in the best way. And I'll tell you what, she's going to be a lot happier too. Uh, So it's been huge for Dave and I to make that adjustment. It couldn't have happened without the pandemic. It couldn't have happened really without the arrival of our third. And now we have our fourth on the way too. And I don't have to, thank you. I don't have to fight him. When I'm tired, he lets me take a nap. If I need help with X, Y, or Z, he doesn't hesitate to help. He really serves me and loves me the way Christ loves his church and the way Christ lays down his life. And there are times I know he's tired too. He wakes up, sometimes he's going to mass at 630 in the morning just because he knows that that's when he's going to be able to go. He stays up late and does laundry. He, my gosh, he's incredible. And our family could not function the same way. We would be in survival mode yeah. if it weren't for the way that he has stepped up. Yeah. That's another way I can, I can get on my soapbox, but no, that's great. Uh, that's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of men cooking. Like I, I do the most of the cooking for our household. So good at it too. Um, so I, so that was, so like I, I work for our diocese and when I was applying for the job, that's, they, they asked me like, well, what, what's one thing that, you know, you want to ask us? And I said, well, I want to be home to cook dinner every day. And I think they were kind of taken aback by it. Um, but that's just sort of, I love to cook. It's a passion of mine. That's how I de-stress. Um, it's something I've enjoyed doing most of my life. And, and so now with our, our two-year-old, I, he has a little learning tower, you know, so he's like in our kitchen. So when I'm cooking, he's trying to help me cook, you know, so he can already like flip food in the pan with a long spatula and, and, um, you know, so not only do I cook, but then also Solanus is kind of with me when I get home from work too. So it's, it's a beautiful arrangement. Um, and it does make a huge difference. Yeah. And we can have all the conversations in the world about whether or not a woman should work outside the home Mm. and and whether or not a woman should have a job when she is at home or if she should just be a stay at home mom exclusively. But it's not often that we have conversations about how much time 
the dad is spending in the home and what the dad is doing to meet the spiritual needs of his children and of his wife. And I think it's amazing that you are able to be home as often as you are and to be able to come home and cook dinner because that's a huge burden off of your wife too. And that allows her to serve you in other ways and serve the family in other ways. Yeah. You can't have, you can't have strong mothers without strong fathers too. You really have to work together. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and to the whole question of who's working and when they're working and how they're working, you know, I understand that there's, there, you know, we, we need some principles to live by, but I think the foundational principles, like what's God calling you to do, you know, like what, what's the Lord calling you to do with your life? And then, you know, I love that you have this mission statement of what you're trying to do on your, on your website there, because uh, this was something that, that Brittany and I were invited to do early on at a family retreat was to create a mission statement, to ask the Lord what our mission statement was so that it, it gives us this sense that, um, you know, what, what we're supposed to be doing is what the Lord is calling us to. And then all the other stuff falls in behind that, right? Whether or not Brittany works, what my job looks like, whether or not we choose to be poor or we choose to be rich, you know, because I think one good way to get a lot more space in your life is to choose to have less money. <laughs> then you got to spend less money, <laughs> right? But yeah, but, more money, more problems. But you right? can get a lot, a lot of time in the day if you just choose, you know, to make less money. Um, and that's been a blessing for us too, because when we started to have our family, Brittany decided not to work, at least while our kids are little, which means our income cut in half all of a sudden which obviously is inconvenient and difficult, but, but it makes such a difference. You know, it's like, we can't get the time back. We can make more money later, but we'll never get the time back. Um, but it was understanding like the mission that we felt the Lord was calling us to have as a family, which is specifically focusing a lot on healing and then hospitality or understanding that mission that then helps direct our choices. And I feel like that's kind of what you and Dave's process has been too of having this sense, not just like, this is what we should be doing, but like the Lord is actually calling us to this way of life. Absolutely. And that's something important that we talk about in the prayer book for tired parents, that when you have that compass, that your priority is to love God more and make prayer a priority. And if you're fighting for that peace in your home, you have those objective things that you're looking at, then it makes it really easy to say, you know, doing this social thing is not really, uh, it's not really accomplishing those objectives of loving God most or the movies that you watch or the extracurricular activities that your kids are involved in. It becomes surprisingly simple to discern what to do with your family. Or, you know, in our case, I have the unique opportunity of working as part of the mission of EWTN, which is so beautifully in lockstep with our family's mission. And if that ever were to change, then we would have more conversations about what to do with our family and our income at that point. But it becomes a lot easier to make these otherwise seemingly daunting decisions Mm -hmm. when you say, is this helping me grow in holiness? Is this prioritizing God first and then my family second? And is this something that that God is calling me to do? Is this something that is going to bring peace into our home or is it something that's going to cause strife? And that means that there have even, there have been some things with our jobs that we've had to say no to ways that Dave has had to step back in his job, um, social gatherings that we do not participate in because they don't accomplish those things. But it brings a lot of, of peace and contentment for us to know that we're doing something for a purpose. Yeah. I know when you get, when you get close to mother Angelica, she gets her hands on you, on your heart. She does. when I was in college <laughs> seminary, we would take, we I took a couple of pilgrimages with some of my um, brothers in seminary down to the, the shrine of Our Lady of the Angels. You know, it was while the Knights of the Eucharist were there, and and um, and then we were able to visit some of the sisters in the convent in the the parlors. And and the one time I was there, there was this guy there who had a he was a priest who had a healing gift, um, and I think it was pretty soon after Mother had had a stroke. And he had, he had come through, he had spent most of his ministry, like in the third world, praying over people with incurable diseases. And this priest was there at the shrine. Um, and he was going to pray with mother Angelica to see, you know, if, if the Lord had a healing in store for her. But while he was there, he had, um, he had offered to pray with everyone else that was there. And two amazing things happened. 
one, there was a, a lady who every day, like I remember she, there's a big hill there to get up to the church. She was in a wheelchair and she'd sit down there and wait and ask somebody to push her up the hill. And she was prayed over by this guy. And then there's the, that little courtyard kind of to the left side of the church when you're walking up to it. We, we were walking through there to meet with some of the, the sisters from the convent. And she was pushing the wheelchair through there, asking people if they wanted rides. <laughs> so it was like, no, it was right. wild. Um, you know, but the other thing that happened was I had been, you know, I'd been involved in the charismatic renewal. I'd been prayed over a thousand times at this point in my life. And I'm a pretty stoic guy in a lot of ways. And it never really moved me. But this guy, the second he put his hand on me, man, I just crumpled to the ground. And these poor little friars were trying to catch me. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm a pretty big guy even after losing a couple hundred pounds. So, so I just remember that. Um, and in so many ways, like what the Lord was doing with me in seminary was beginning like a healing journey in my life to make me more human, to give me more of a heart of flesh. And in that moment at the shrine, um, I think it was one of those pivotal moments of the Lord, like working in me. And then since we've been married, my wife and I have been able to stop at the shrine a couple times. And um, it's been cool to see my wife kind of going from almost like a little skeptical about Mother Angelica, maybe a little uncomfortable, you know, with some of the stories about her to now, like, you know, we just attended our, our local Catholic radio station and station radio had a hundredth birthday party for Mother Angelica last month. And we went together and, you know, heard one of the friars tell a bunch of stories about her life. And, um, so it's just beautiful to see her continue to work so powerfully from heaven. Um, and I guess I'm curious, like, what's your story with mother? Yeah, well, so I grew up watching EWTN, but never really understanding the impact that it was having yeah. and would have on the world. And just, you know, grow, growing up knowing who mother Angelica was, uh, even living in Ohio, mm. when I, when I started working for her, that was, I say working for her, really working, working for Jesus through mother. Um, that's where a lot of my um, spiritual insight on humility came in and recognizing how God works through people and it's not people working for themselves. Yeah. But as, as we started getting closer to the end of what was her life, I was nagging one of the friars about, you know, I really want to meet mother Angelica. Am I ever going to meet mother Angelica? And it was Good Friday in 2016, where I had been nagging this friar friend of ours, when am I going to meet mother? Am I ever going to meet her? And he looks at me with this really sad face and says, I don't think you're going to meet her on this side of heaven. Three days later on Easter Sunday, she dies. Wow. So I never got to meet mother when she was alive, but Dave and I were able to go to her viewing and the prayer vigils where she was lying in repose. And um, I remember looking at her and you know, she's, she's deceased. <laughs> and, um, I'm just, I'm looking at her face and I'm like, what now mother? Because at that point in my life, I had been a TV producer for EWTN. And I realized that I probably was not going to be able to be a TV producer after the birth of our baby. And I was six months pregnant at that point. So I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um, I was kind of, you know, <laughs> at a lot of people's mercy and I was unsure about the future of the network too. And I just felt in my heart and in my mind, her just like cackling her mother, Angelica laugh and just saying like, Oh, sweetheart, this is just the beginning. Mm. And so I got to see her in person that day and we had our wedding rings and some other religious items touched to her. Mm. And I thought that was cool. And I would have been happy with that. But then I ended up, uh, through, I think it was a fluke. I don't know how it ended up happening, but I got to go to her funeral oh. as well. And that was the second most beautiful mass that I had ever been to in my life. The most beautiful being my wedding, of course, but, but seeing that, that there's more to the story than what I can see. Yeah. And excuse me, through, through my life and even through Dave's conversion, mother Angelica had been a part of our relationship from the very beginning. Hmm. And the more Dave and I started watching mother Angelica, like really listening to her. And the more we started reading her books and the more we started applying her spirituality, and that is a practical holiness to our own lives, we realized that Mother Angelica, she knew, she knew what she was talking about yeah. and that this is, 
her teachings are divinely inspired and it's not, it's not anything super heady. It's not Thomas Aquinas. It's that ordinary everyday holiness. And so we, we bring that into the prayer book for tired parents because it's been so instrumental in who we are as a married couple and as parents that, you know, saints are ordinary people who did the will of God. And, And her famous line is we are all called to be great saints don't miss the opportunity. Well, as parents, the opportunity is right in front of us. And she was not afraid to talk about her, her vices as a little Italian lady and how she's impatient and unkind and how she has a sharp tongue sometimes. And she's sarcastic, but also talking about how God was calling her to rise above that. And I mean, really just, if you are not familiar with mother Angelica dive into, just start watching her shows on EWTN um, just read Raymond Arroyo's biography on mother, read her little lessons on spirituality. She's got these books. They're like this big. And, um, she just lays it out so plainly. We try to overcomplicate our faith, but she really just brings it all into perspective. And it's so perfectly applicable to everybody today, but very specifically to parents, Hmm. just be holy right where you are in this moment, choose to be holy. It's wild. Yeah. I'll put, I'll put links to all those things in the show notes for people. So you can just pop down there. And... <laughs> I don't get any commission for yeah, promoting no. those either. No, it's just good stuff. It's just good stuff. Um, and I also, I also want to say that speaking of Annunciation Radio, you also should read David Vasquez's Faith Over Fear, where he talks about what it was like to work with Mother Angelica oh, yeah. and what he learned from her. Yeah. Good plug for Dave's book. I remember coming home one day and Brittany's crying. I'm like, okay, like what now? Like what's going on? Like, did you have a bad day with She's like, I, I picked up this book you had here. She was just Aww. pierced from the heart um, from the book and especially hearing the stories with mother. And it, it was just right before our last visit to the shrine, which is where we bought your book. So that's like I said, this is all in God's providence. Um, so as you're talking, it just struck me that mother is such an example of humility in the media. Um, I forget where I heard it, but, you know, just like, for example, like choosing to continue to be on TV after having a stroke, you know, and, and affecting her face, affecting her speech, like just an example of, of humility and, and, um, and really doing it for Christ. And it just struck me how, you know, that's kind of like this, your, your story too. And, and I'm curious, like how much was she an influence on now how you are when you're on the television? Well, I I appreciate that comparison, and I don't think I'm worthy of being compared to Mother Angelica. Um, I think it is really important to to call attention to the fact that she suffered so much uh, publicly, but the way that she embraced the suffering had a profound impact on people. And in our own lives, Dave and I have been through a lot, and we talk about some of that in the book, and that that honesty and that vulnerability resonates with people and it helps people realize that they're not alone in their struggles. And yeah, I'll admit there have been times where I have felt completely helpless as a parent. There have been times where, you know, especially, especially postpartum, but I have felt, I felt helpless and I have felt um, inadequate and I have felt like a terrible wife and I have had body image issues Mm -hmm. and comparison issues and, just feelings of complete exhaustion and, and literally just saying, I don't know how I'm going to get through the day. Yeah. And that, that was part of the inspiration too, for choosing to move forward with the title, the prayer book for tired parents, because in talking to some uh, people about the title, as we were working through things from the beginning, there were a couple people who were not parents who said, well, isn't it kind of self-deprecation to call yourself a tired parent? Like that kind of sounds that sounds defeatist. Shouldn't you say something like the prayer book for parents or for parents who are trying or a prayer book for determined parents. But it's one of those things where like, if you know, you know that that utter helplessness that you feel sometimes as a parent and the unique suffering that you go through as a parent draws you to a different kind of prayer. And it's through that abandonment that you can turn to God and you can say, Jesus, the only way that I can get through this day is with your help. Mm. Or Blessed Mary, Our Lady of Sorrows, I am at my lowest. Can you be here for me? And she is. 
she absolutely is. It's so it's in those really dark, awful moments in parenting. I know I'm selling it really well for somebody who doesn't have kids yet. <laughs> um, like if you don't, I don't want to scare anybody away from parenting, but it's a very unique kind of suffering. Mother Angelica shows us how to suffer well and that there's good that can come from it. And even in these moments, Mother Angelica was no stranger to suffering. She grew up in a broken home, basically in poverty with, um, you know, her parents were divorced. Her father was not there. Um, she was a very sickly child and she had a really hard life and she had physical suffering pretty much her entire life. And God still used her and she didn't despair and she pushed through in spite of that. And so those, those lessons in particular about physical suffering that she teaches us are so important. But then also um, the anguish that she endured from just getting a TV network up and off the ground and, and dealing with um, conflicts in between or like within the church and from the outside world she persevered and there was good fruit and there's good fruit when we persevere through those sufferings as well. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, the kind of mysteries I've been reflecting on in this series of motherhood is that the relationship between physical motherhood and spiritual motherhood, you know, one, I think all, all mothers are spiritual mothers, right? So, so that kind of being an example of, of God's love, a channel of God's grace, teaching your kids to pray, praying for your children. Like that's a part of every, every woman's life, whether they have children or not. Um, so every mother is also a spiritual mother, but it just strikes me that like those women who, who choose, you know, celibacy for the sake of the kingdom, like they're in a special way, like a reminder to all of us of the life that we're destined to in heaven. Right. But they're also like a sign, a kind of icon, um, that continually like keeps us on track, you know, like our, our exposure to those people, our relationship with those people. Um, it's really, it's really kind of a, a reminder of the imminence of God. Like that's why I think that, that, that the, the quality of motherhood is, is a quality of imminence of closeness. Um, when the catechism talks about God's fatherhood, it talks about it pointing to God's transcendence. Um, and it's kind of how big and powerful he is. And, and motherhood is the opposite a reminder of God's imminence and his tender love. Um, so similar, like the, the celibate women who take on this vocation, you know, that, that closeness of God in their life and then teaching us then how to be those spiritual parents, even though we also have physical children too. <laughs> um, so I'm just curious, like in your life as a mother with young kids and now, you know, your oldest is not so young anymore, but um, like, how have you experienced that of also being like a spiritual mother? both to them and then probably also now to, to other women who experience you in ministry. Yeah. Well, the, the most practical way that I can think of that I'm, I'm working toward that spiritual motherhood is by preparing our almost seven-year-old to receive her first Holy Communion mm -hmm. and to make her first confession yeah. as well. And so it's one of those things where she's coming up to the age of reason, where she's learning right from wrong. And not only is she learning the book stuff from me about the the 10 commandments and about what mass is and what the Eucharist is, but she's seeing me put it into action yeah. and she can call me out on the carpet. If I am being impatient or if I'm being rude or if I'm, if I'm being, if I'm angry or harsh with, with my husband or with, with the kids, she, she knows and she recognizes that. And so whether, whether or not you have biological children or adopted or foster children, you are a model to others and to, in particular, children. And so it really is a call that, you know, we're not just living our faith for ourselves. We are really living it for other people. And I've seen this practice so beautifully in some of my friends who are un unmarried women in their 40s and beyond. Um, I'm thinking of one woman in particular. Uh, please pray for her because she is right now she's essentially dying of cancer, oh, wow. but she has been like a spiritual mother to us, both in the way that she's loved on and prayed for our children and the way that she has helped me in my own spiritual life. Uh, but the, the tender tenderness of a woman, the, the patience, the fact that she listens to me and she prays with me and she calls me to hire. It's something that I'll never forget. And I'm so thankful to God that he put this particular woman in my life. Uh, I really think that she is 
a saint in the making and that she's finishing the race strong also in her suffering. I mean, just the cancer dying slowly and watching her basically drift away. So it appears in, in her body, but just staying so sharp spiritually and being able to keep the faith, knowing that the end is in sight. Yeah. It's amazing. So women do not forget the impact of your spiritual motherhood. It is profound. Yeah, it is profound. And, and it's so needed, like so much in our culture is really trying to kind of abolish femininity. Um, but it's, there's, I think even, even more vicious in particular attack on motherhood, um, in our society. And I think so much of that is that, um, like the, the woman reminding us of God's closeness of God's tenderness and also of God's design, like the woman is kind of the high point of creation, the pinnacle of the created order. And so, so there's something about the woman that, that reveals to us God's plan, um, for his creation. And there's so, so many different movements and undercurrents in our society that just want to blot that out. They just want to extinguish that. Um, so it's such an important vocation. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, sometimes I, people, uh, like we have a friend right now that's actually struggling because she feels like she should go back to work. Like she feels like she's almost kind of like wasting her life being at home, but, but it's like, no, you know, there's nothing more important you could be doing <laughs> than being a mother. <laughs> like we get the, the whole order and inverse of reality flipped. Like the reason we have an economy is to support our parents. <laughs> there aren't parents in order that the economy gets better. <laughs> Uh, it's just wild how, how backwards our world has gotten, but just that vocation of every woman in their life and in their place. The point that I wanted to end on is something that's come up, I think, in the conversation. And that's just that, um, that our path to sanctity comes with the life that God gives us. You know, like you've mentioned a few times, sort of the, the difficulties of, of being a parent, you know, the, the late nights, the giving up your sleep the emotional turmoil, the, the wreckage on your body, like all of this is, is real and it can become asceticism, right? It become, can become practices where we're, we're, um, mortifying our will in order that God can penetrate us more deeply. Um, yeah. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, about that dynamic that like holiness is here, like in the practicals of the life that God has given you. Yeah. Well, I mean, God gives us our five senses and we can, we can live out holiness by, by our awareness of those senses and our awareness that God is present in every moment of the day. St. Teresa of Avila says that God moves amidst the pots and the pans. Um, and I think of so many of the saints who are parents and we don't necessarily dive into their lives and uh, their lives as parents, you know, St. Thomas More uh, was a father. He was also like, uh, had a high role in the King's court. And he, at one point took in his, I think his sisters, his sister died and took, he took in her kids. So he had a lot of kids and I'm sure he was, he was a very tired man. And I don't know that anybody really talks much about that, but he was holy. He became a great saint, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, St. Jane Francis de Chantal, St. Louis and Zaley Martine, um, the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph. And, and I particularly look to uh, St. Gianna Mola, who was a working mom, had three children and a fourth on the way and was always faithful to God's will. Yeah. And, you know, too many times we try to overcomplicate things like, do I have to live the life of a monk or a nun in order to be holy? Absolutely not. Like we've said over and over again, the holiness is right here. And in the prayer book for tired parents, we talk about the ways that you can make every moment a prayer and that those daunting tasks that parents have to complete in order to keep up their home and to sustain their children's lives, those can all be a means of mortification and of growing in holiness. So whereas I used to hate folding laundry, now I, I look at it as a prayer and that as I'm folding the kids' clothes, I pray in Thanksgiving for the kids and uh, for the money that we have to be able to buy the clothes and uh, thankful that I get to experience the joy that they have when we're making memories, when they're wearing their favorite little outfits um, and, and gratitude that they have clean clothes to wear. So like how many times have you prayed in Thanksgiving for your washer and your dryer? You normally don't pray about them. <laughs> Unless you're, you're praying that you will, like if, if one breaks and you have to buy a new one or whatever, like God, please help the 
Anyways, um, the same thing with groceries that we tend to take those for granted. When was the last time you prayed in Thanksgiving for your groceries? When was the last time you prayed in Thanksgiving for your food as you were washing your dirty dishes? So every moment can be a prayer. When you're up in the middle of the night with your baby who won't sleep because they're colicky or going through a sleep regression, how often do you unite that that sense of fatigue or that exhaustion with Jesus as he was carrying his cross? How often do you keep the Blessed Mother, Our Lady of Sorrows, accompanied in your own sorrows. So it's like every little moment, every task that you do throughout the day and every moment of the day can be offered up as a prayer. And that will change your perspective as a parent. It will sanctify your time. And it will also help you develop a new appreciation for your kids that you'll recognize that they're not a barrier to your holiness, but they're the means in which you'll become holy. And um, I just want to mention one of my favorite prayers that Dave and I wrote in the prayer book for tired parents is based off of a reflection that we wrote on St. Therese. And it's the prayer of a parent during a child's tantrum. And the idea is that when St. Therese was three years old, she used to have these wild tantrums where um, St. Zaley said that she would just throw herself on the floor, writhing around as though all were lost. But St. Therese went on to become not just a saint, but a doctor of the church and one of the most widely recognized and beloved saints in the history of our church. And if she could become a saint, even as a little three-year-old throwing herself on the floor, having a full-blown meltdown, then God can do the same with our own children. And so when you see your little Solanus on the floor melting down, instead of looking at him as a, a terrible two or like a, a, you know, a helpless, angry toddler, you can look at him as a saint in the making yeah. and you can pray for the grace in that moment to love on that child and disciple that child and also pray for the grace for you to become a saint in that moment as well. It's so cool. I have a completely new perspective on motherhood and on parenthood in general, and it's wonderful. And it all comes through recognizing those little opportunities for holiness throughout the day. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Debbie. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for writing this book with Dave. Thank you for all the ministry you do and serving the church. And um, so if people want to find anything you're up to, tiredcatholicparents.com, tiredcatholicparents.com. I see that you have writing up there. You can find the book. Um, you can get a hold of them through the website. I'm sure they'd love to come and, you know, give a parish mission or something at your parish. So so please, uh, please reach out to them through the site. And then I'll throw links in the show notes if you want to buy the book, if you want to see uh, Debbie show and EWTN and then all the other resources we talked about. But thank you so much, Debbie. Thank you so much for listening to or watching Physically Spiritual. I'm so grateful for every moment you've given to this show. Please remember to subscribe, like, follow, and share the show. And if you want to support Everything we're doing at Physically Spiritual or at Awaken Catholic, you can become a patron of the show at physicallyspiritual.com. To find anything I'm up to, head over to becominggift.com. God bless everyone.